Hey, this is PJ Souls, and you are totally listening to Nightmare Junkhead. Woo! Keep listening. out of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from this is the nightmare junkhead podcast a horror podcast that just might be open for some alien persuasion my name is greg d (laughs) i'm genius mcgee and on today's episode our month long of musical mayhem continues as we get grody to the max with some perfectly aged cheese from 1984 as we try to make sense of voyage of the rock aliens and whether or not you took shop in high school, you can listen into our show. Simply search for Nightmare Junkhead wherever podcasts are played. Hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, we'll download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your power balance hole. <laughs> and of course, you can find us out on social media. We're on Twitter at Nightmare Junk, on Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead, and of course, it is on the Book of Face where we have an events tab, which leads to shenanigans and rock alien shenanigans. And as this episode is releasing on Friday, May 21st, Screenland Armor, as usual, they have your genre needs taken care of indoors, outdoors, and virtually. And on that very Friday, mm-hmm. our latest Friday Night Fright is a film that I'm not going to lie, genius. The last time we saw it in the theater, uh-huh. I had probably one of my all-time great theatrical experiences. Oh, it was wonderful. It was beyond incredible. It's like it's like this whole everything went into maximum overdrive. Yeah. If you happen to miss out a few years ago when we opened up our fifth Nerdoween horror movie marathon with Maximum Overdrive. It scared the hell out of you. Oh my goodness. It made love like a hero. You know, Mm -hmm. genius, I poured water like a hero (laughs) later that night. (laughs) Sincerely, it was one of the all-time great openers. The, The crowd reaction was incredible. It's still, again, it's one of my favorite theatrical screenings. It was a wonderful, magical time. I unironically love that movie. It's, it's a legit... fucking great. Crazy, great, wonderful movie, and I'm very thankful that Stephen King is still with us, because famously... Um, yeah. The fact that he doesn't remember making that whole wonderful magnum opus, that's insane. The, the, he's got a giant semi-truck with the Green Goblin on there. How does he not remember making that? That's... The, Wild. Professional bumpkin indeed. Delivering another lo- uh, another load of joy, my friend. <laughs> I'm going to make it myself. And you know what? I kind of liked it. <laughs> like, okay, dude. Well, let me tell you what I really liked. <laughs> the, and speaking of theatrical experiences, is we're just coming off our last Friday Night Fright, mm-hmm. which was David Cronenberg's The Brood. <laughs> <laughs> the giggle is appropriate because when we were rolling up, I even said to you, I was like, man... I'm not shocked if only, like, we're going to get three or four people for this. Because, you know, the brood itself is almost not necessarily a lesser-known Cronenberg, but it's definitely one of those that... Well, I don't think there's any really deep cuts with Cronenberg, but I think it's one of those ones that falls between the cracks. It does. Everybody talks about Videodrome. Everybody talks about The Fly. Everybody talks about, hell, history of violence nowadays. We talk about Shivers. We talk about Shivers and Rabbit, right? We talk about all that. But, I mean, even, like... During normal Cronenberg conversation, the brood doesn't come up. 
And we me- I mentioned that because there was a great turnout. Yeah, there was. For the brood. Yeah, there was. I was shocked at yeah. how many people were there. And per usual, probably about half of them were seeing it for the first time. I'd say more than half. Which was wonderful. Now, mm-hmm. two things of note with this particular screening. <laughs> it started more than half, but the wound up half. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we actually, so that very Nerdoween where we screened Maximum Overdrive, we had walkouts. Mm-hmm. Before the movie actually the, started with arachnophobia. It, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, arachnophobia. Nope. <laughs> but in The Brood, about halfway through, we had so we had a walkout. We mm-hmm. had a couple walkout. And I don't know if it was the content of the movie you made mentioned. I think it was like they weren't ready Young for slow burn movie. Cronenberg. You know what I'm saying? Because The Brood isn't fast-paced at all. Not like Shivers, not like The Fly. It's It takes its time. It simmers. And not everybody is down for a simmer, especially a Cronenberg simmer. Apparently not, because, again, they left, and again, that happens, but we had initially set everything with, with the movie talking about how dour it is and how there's not a lot of levity, and it's, you know, you're not going to have a lot of fun with this movie, right? Mm-hmm. Cue the movie, and throughout the film, I'm talking... There's giggles, and it's not just me this time, which no, makes me feel better, because... Everyone! Because <laughs> there's some... The first, I think maybe because, like, I don't know if I, like broke the seal because there was a couple of times and i knew something was coming up I'm like <laughs> right just one of those like sinister laughs i can't help but then by the end when she's like look at us look at this right can you handle this and like i was like you hear audibly like holy oh. shit what the fuck oh <laughs> you hear like laughs and like i mean like well, and it wasn't shot, even- not even before that but like when the goblins are there oh no like the scares they scared, but the little bits of levity that I didn't think existed, because the last time I watched this was two years ago for Into the Mouth of March Madness mm-hmm. by myself at home. And let me just tell you, this is the power of seeing something in the theater with a crowd, because they were a phenomenal crowd. Yeah, they were. Very respectful, because yeah, it's a slower adult Cronenberg film, but my goodness. <laughs> I forgot, technically, that the little bits of levity, when they hit, they really hit with everyone. Yeah. And maybe it's because it is such a serious film, and you get the little goblins and blunt objects and all of that, but I even commented as the lights rose, I was like, you all are just sick, sick people. My goodness. And I remember there, good, good job. <laughs> so uh, hopefully, Maximum Overdrive can return to that, but no, just thank you everyone that came out, and also... A special shout-out to some of the the cool cats at the Stray Cat Theater, which I'm a huge fan of theirs. They are off of, uh, oh my good, I won't know the address, but look up Stray Cat Theater. I have seen Stone Cold multiple times in their theater. Let me repeat that. (laughs) They have screened Craig R. Baxley's Stone Cold Multiple times. Happy Hendrickson. <laughs> so if you're into that kind of good genre stuff, obviously Screen Screenland, but of course also our good friends at the Stray Cat Theater. So shout out to them. Now, of course, other genre stuff going on that weekend. I'm actually really excited here. Uh, si- uh, Simon Roberts actually just directed his first film called Seance. Mm-hmm. So this is, you know, normally writing with Adam Wingard. So this is his chance, his directorial debut. And apparently, it's very much a a '90s kind of urban legend throwback. 
Exactly. Ooh. Exactly. And then our repertory screenings, uh, we have In the Mood for Love. Mm-hmm. And Simply because you're near me. La, da, 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 da. I guess that's better than Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. <laughs> Interestingly enough, you can combine those in our last two commentaries. Uh-huh. And of course, we also are going to be screening My Best Friend's Wedding. Yeah. Now, that <laughs> come on now. Yeah. There's always room for the rom-coms. Right, right, right. Now, that is indoor. Now, outdoors on Friday the 21st, speaking of musicals mm-hmm. and a little bit about the postmodern element, Moulin Rouge. I fucking love Moulin Rouge. I had a feeling. I, I had a feeling. I fucking adore that movie. Because you can, can, can? Because I can, can, can. And then on Saturday, you don't want to say this one multiple times. Well, technically, you can say it once. Say it twice. Third Dunn's germ. <laughs> Beetlejuice, which I they screened last uh, year outdoors, and I was in, in attendance for that. And my goodness, ridiculously fun and good, and the the greatest random f bomb of all time. Right, I love Beetlejuice. A nice fucking model, honk honk. Hey, come here. I got something good for you. And of course, we get to get let genius break out the Beetlejuice. Right, that is always good. That is always good. Now. That is outdoors. Now, virtually, of course, you can go to ScreenlandOnline.com, rent a number of films. But also, speaking of virtual, on Saturday, uh, May 29th, we have our latest Shutter shout-out. Woo! And it is all about... Um, Monsters and Mayhem. I can't wait. We've got some hunky boys lined up for you. Yes, we do. Now, of course, these films are going to be streaming on Shutter, and we are going to be kicking off with a film that we saw... Last year through the Chattanooga Film Festival, mm-hmm. and one that is very unique, a lot of fun, and you broke it down as... It's CSI Crystal Lake Sao Paulo edition. We're going to be streaming and taking in Skull the Mask. Yes, it's fucking rad. It is gory as shit. And then we're going to stay on that gory train with one of, still, one of the best films of 2021, in, in my opinion, and I think a lot of people's opinions. Fucking psycho Gorman. We're going to play a little bit of crazy ball. It's going to be my rookie boys. Oh, it's going to be great. Now, of course, hopefully you are already subscribed to Shudder and streaming along. And if you're not, there are a number of trial codes that you can utilize. But if you would like access to some exclusive content that includes a pre-show, customized introduction by uh, yours truly and Genius McGee, mm-hmm. trailer reels, and of course, post-film discussion, all you have to do, become a... A multiple member of Patreon and a film family, you can head to Screenland, uh, patreon.com slash Screenland, get access, or you can become a... A bellies. As we have our little Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Nightmare Junkhead. Uh, before we talk about the commentary that's coming up this month, I would like to apologize in advance for anything that uh, I did in that podcast that may offend your ears. No, are you kidding? Uh, so <laughs> what Genius is talking about is, depending on the tier that you choose here, now, of course, Squidly Diddly on up, you do have access to the Shutter shout-out, but if you're in our Another Time tier, our, our latest commentary track, staying with the musical theme, we did something a little bit different. We had our musical episode. And when we say we, pretty much it's all Genius McGee. He was <laughs> Atlas during this commentary. Charles Atlas. And if you're dying of anticipation, head on over to patreon.com slash nightmare junkhead. 
for our Rocky Horror Picture sing-along commentary. It was a lot of fun, but that was like one of the first ones in a long time I've been like nervous to record. Well, I won't lie. I felt like I was watching a one-man show, so I appreciate all the work that went into that. Uh, no, but we have, again, a tear for everyone from a squidly diddly to another time. Another place. So head on over to patreon.com slash nightmare junkhead. And this month has been a lot of fun, number one. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. From seeing Phantom of the Paradise for my first time, mm-hmm. wonderful, mind-blowing, life-changing, to revisiting a film that, again, we experienced uh, first time in a theater that also had a walkout uh-huh. going for Silka here. I like the fact that we've been able to explore some of the stuff that's recent, uh, just within the last six years with the lure. And some of the first-timers. Oh, man. We're talking over 40 years ago with Phantom of the Paradise. Mm-hmm. But if we're talking music, musicals, and just how kind of weird things can get from decade to decade... <laughs> In the in Phantom of the Paradise, it was made in the seventies, very much a seventies film, but the music was all of a celebration of the yesteryear, of the nostalgia. Yeah, 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 yeah. From the fifties, and then like, and then it showed like bringing into the glam rock. It was transitioning. Future, behold the future of music. But there was a lot of reverence to the yesteryear. Oh yeah. Well, it's funny because the film we're talking here came ten years later, from seventy four to eighty four. And a film that I don't know how much more 1980s it could be. No, this was like featuring hits of today back then. <laughs> so <laughs> this is a big old hunk of 80s cheese. And it should be warned then, since you are lactose intolerant, how did you digest this one, genius? Oh, it was almost lactose free. It just <laughs> went down very, not smooth, because there was some after effects like, what? Huh? <laughs> what? But... I enjoyed this movie a lot. Well, and this was, I should say, this was a first time viewing for you. Mm -hmm. And this actually was, I explored this, uh, we'll just do another real quick Patreon plug. If you are on the uh, Squidly Diddly tier, uh, three times a week, I do a little 10 to 15 minute reaction of seeing a film for the first time. Yeah. And this was one of those from last year. Um, And this is a film that I know that you and I first probably were exposed to. It was through the Trailer War compilation. We're like, what's this? Is that P. Isadora? Is that Michael Berryman? Is that Ruth Gordon? What's going on in this movie? (laughs) It was, again, another one of those films. We've got a pretty good genre background. Mm -hmm. There are not a lot of films that I didn't think that I wasn't aware of. But a lot of these compilations, they show us how little we really know. Blue Monkey? The fuck? (laughs) Hell, Stunt Rock. Right? My life was forever changed because of that trailer. (laughs) Same here. (laughs) And then it finally took me a long time to get around to Voyage of the Rock Aliens. And this movie is so 1980s. It is just so dripping with everything that was happening within, specifically, MTV, music television. And for our audience, especially any of you younger listeners out there, and man, we're gonna sound so dated, aren't we? Back in our back in our day, when MTV used to play music, it well, it was only music. It was only music, only music videos and music programs, like like talking about music and the music industry. It created the video jockey, mm-hmm. the VJ. Remember when that was like a viable, lucrative position? Oh yeah. Now let me ask you this. Oh, be a VJ? I wanted to be a VJ. I can, oh, I, I can, oh, I wanted to be a VJ instantaneously when I saw it. Like, dude, fucking who's this dude? The uh, Reggie the Hippie. I could do that. 
you know, fucking Kurt Loader. I can do that, well, right? Well, see, I always had, I'm not going to lie, I always had a crush on Martha Quinn growing up. Mm-hmm. And even though they actually had, a me- she was blonde, she was more on the metal and rock scene. I cannot remember her name right now. It's going to drive me nuts. But between her, I mean, we had Matt Pinfield back in the day. Yeah. There was Ricky Rackman from Headbangers Ball. Uh, Julie Brown and downtown Julie Brown. Not to be confused. Uh, we had Dr. Dre and Ed Lover. Uh-huh. Uh, but it was interesting because that was such a change in the music industry when that was the new delivery method. Mm-hmm. Television. Music television genius and it be and it became a lucrative market and do you remember the very first uh music video it was uh the beagles video killed the radio star oh Ser- serena atchell yes that name is made, said with much reverence oh yes even to a lesser extent um uh jesse jesse camp jesse and then kennedy and then like all them cats and it's really interesting because you can definitely tell someone's either their age or the, the 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 generation they're from, based on what do they know of MTV? What was MTV to them in the day? Was it uh, pre uh, Jersey Shore or post Jersey Shore? I think there's a definite divider right there, which is kind of. I should even go Real World because that was their first foray into original like, programming, original like like competition reality program, and then after that it was all fucking downhill. Yeah, it got, got it. And that was back in 1994, maybe, I think, yeah. when that first came out. Yeah. Good Lord, we're, we are dying. We're old as shit, dude. Back when MTV played music by Cracky. Anyway, this is a product of MTV. This oh. is let's get as much shit crammed into a movie with music of today, a lot of new wave, new wave, a lot of new wave music, a lot of like just. Power ballads. I mean, we open up with a power ballad. This is everything. This is almost diluted MTV, like yeah. a capsule version. Yeah, I could have seen this movie playing on MTV if mm-hmm. they would have been able to license it somehow. Yeah. And it does start, but it literally starts with a music video. Mm-hmm. Even you asked, you're like, are we on another planet or something? Because it, it does not hold your hand. This movie, you mentioned it throughout. It's a lot of fun. The music, I think, is great. But it doesn't make any fucking sense. There are cuts in this film that you have to be like, what were they working with? What did they leave out? I, I, I think I turn to you and I'm like, dude, it's the monkeys in space. Okay, now hold on. Hold on. Back up. Because I have a feeling, you know, if we're, God, if we're getting old We're here, getting old again. God damn it. You kids don't know about the MTV and you kids don't know about the monkeys. So can you actually, how would you explain the monkeys to a modern audience at this point. They're basically a fake band that became a real band that had a show before they were a band about them being a band. Does that make sense? Built around the Beatles. Right. Which, yeah, so if they got... The, the interesting thing about the Monkees, okay, they were like, okay, well, the Beatles are huge. Let's capitalize them and let's yep. make it big, right? So they got all these different musicians... And they had auditions and tryouts, right? And they got these four guys, four actual proper good musicians, to be in the band. But the thing about it is, so, like, they cast him in the band, but they gave him the wrong instruments. So, like, Peter Tork, I believe, who plays bass, actually is an accomplished, like, drummer. Mickey Dolenz actually plays lead guitar. It's Everybody's playing backwards, right? 
So they're like, let's, oh, they look great. And they got good personalities. They never met each other before this. And so they're like, let's film a show. So they based this whole show of shenanigans. And the shenanigans are like fast cuts and edits. It's basically, it, you know what it is? It's the equivalent. It's the live action equivalent of the old Scooby-Doo episodes when they're running around yep. and through the door. And then, or they have the monster. They're like, little Mary Sunshine, she's all right with me. Little Mary Sunshine. Meanwhile, like they're next thing you know, Scooby's playing like the the, the drums, and then like while uh, the That's Phantom so is chasing them around the uh, thing, and so that was the live action equivalent of that. That was the entire. If that was your thing in Scooby Doo, that was the entire fucking show, right? Well, then the monkeys broke up. Then the monkeys broke up, and then they became an actual band. And they released this really weird movie called Head. It's not what you think it is. It's it's not. They played it at art houses, not those art houses, right? <laughs> so, <clears throat> so the band, the fake band that got the TV show about a real being a real band, because it was like that and Hard Day's Night mixed together. Yeah, yeah. Left that show and became a real band. My eyes feel like they're getting ready to go crossed here. It's so complicated. <laughs> well, and chaotic. And but again, you have to. You could probably go on YouTube at this point and see some of the monkey shenanigans. And yeah. See some of the performances. Now I got little Mary Sunshine stuck in my head. The little Mary Sunshine, she's all right with me. Well, it's very apt. It's the fact that it's almost very Benny Hill. It is. And the way the shenanigans were, but they were more American shenanigans, mm -hmm. minus the yakety sacks. Inserting insert uh, insert the monkeys music. Take the last train to Clarksville. I think there's an actual episode because I used to watch the monkeys fucking every day and I fucking hated it. Right? <laughs> I got a love hate relationship with the monkeys. I think there's an episode where they're being chased around uh, the tomb of like King Root and Tootin or some shit like that. Meanwhile, King Root and Tootin is chasing them while Take the Last Train to Clarksville is playing. Has nothing to do with fucking nothing. But like, but you're talking about it. You remember it. Right? So it makes an impression. Fucking ah, because they, the reason, the only reason why I watch the monkeys every day is because down at um, the babysitting place where I was at when I was younger, they'd have the monkeys on. But it was, and the some of the kids loved the fucking monkeys. But I liked the show that was right after. I think it was like, I think it was Remote Control. Right, because wow. they had the monkeys. If I remember correctly, they had the monkeys on both Nickelodeon and MTV. It definitely made its round uh, Nick at Night, most definitely. Yeah, I didn't realize it was playing on rotation on MTV. Yeah, I think it was because I really liked the show afterward after the monkeys, and I was like, "Fucking monkeys!" I have to wait and watch the monkeys. Well, you know what? Getting through the monkeys is always worth to get to Kari Wur. I understand. Right? And then I, now I feel like now I feel like almost like that little girl on The Simpsons when Marge goes on to the... Here's our one for episode. When she goes on to the bus and she's got the monkeys lunchbox and she sits down and the little girl's like, Ew, you like the monkeys? Oh, I guess so. Like, ew, they're not a real band. Yeah, they are. She starts crying. And then she goes, well, they weren't really a real band. And then the, the, the psychiatrist is like, it wasn't about that. It was about freedom. It was about protesting authority. So. <laughs> it's a long way to get to Space Monkeys and the band we have. But also, I'm curious, do we think David Fincher is actually a fan of this film and made the Space Monkey connection? And the, the very essence of Fight Club is built around Voyage of the Rock Aliens. Maybe. I mean, well, they couldn't get meatloaf, so they got Frank Welker. You, okay, 
this was my second time watching this movie, <laughs> and I don't know if I actually recognized Frank Welker's voice. And it's a shame because, again, showing our age, again, and knowing the divide technically, he's probably either your Optimus Prime from the Michael Bay films, mm-hmm. or he's your Optimus Prime from the old school cartoons. I grew up on the cartoons. Yeah. And so that's my familiarity. And in 1984, this was long before the Michael Bay, so this is like the Transformers money was drying up at that point. It was brand new. He didn't know if he was going to come back for a season two. I'll do this weird little film. And he adds a little bit of gravitas to it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very instantly recognizable. And he also, he's playing the voice of a robot. Robots. So it's like, okay, cool. I was already hooked because... This movie, it, it, it when I first, I'd never seen it before, and then, like I said, only Trailer Wars. Mm-hmm. It looked goofbally, right? <laughs> it looked like something that would be on USA up all night, or or something like that. And we start with this really cool practical effect of this spaceship that looks like an old '80s guitar, a little V-neck. It's yeah, great. like something like one of the girls in one of the Robert Palmer videos would be in, right? <laughs> Addicted to space, right? <laughs> so there, and then it just kind of goes off, and then here comes, hi, I'm Robot Frank Welker, and I'm gonna wake up these aliens, but first let's watch TV. And then all of a sudden, they're on P- P- Planet Power Ballad. It's let's, fucking rad. Let's play a little bit of When the Rain Begins to Fall. I love that song. Definitely a jam there, and they're on they're on planet Franco Nero. It's great, <laughs> Franco Nero. Yeah, I guess I didn't make that connection there. I really, honestly, thought this was more of a Canadian film, especially just with some of the sensibilities and everything that I had seen with it initially. It's very, that's what I'm saying. That's the plan. <laughs> it's post apocalyptic as all get out. Yeah, I mean, and that's the beauty of this movie is all the uh, music uh, scenes that we get in here are the set pieces are all music videos. But the thing about it is, that's the only straight music video. Then when it goes to, like, the I guess, Earth or something, yeah. there is, it's it's almost a trauma version of Earth. Well, and that's, I also made the kind of the connection. It had a very Roger Corman-esque feel, kind of like a rock and roll high school. Because they even had, the, the the next song is like, we're at the beach having a good time down Piazzadora looking great. Meanwhile, Squiddly Diddlies are coming out of Lake Erie Right, and like they're throwing their surfboards, and it's acid and just being devoured. This is such a bizarre movie. I don't know what the message is. Well, how would you describe this to not necessarily a normie? Actually, how would you describe it to someone that listens to our show? Eighties, the musical. It's exact. It's almost the pieces. It's exactly what you think it is. It's just shenanigans in space. It's just space musical shenanigans. Well, because no rhyme. There's a very loose plot, but then when you think it's going to go somewhere, it doesn't. It all new characters are added and throws into the mix, and you're halfway through it turns into a murder mystery, a psychopath a slasher murder mystery, where there weren't an actual body count, but yet we're in a town called Spielberg when our hero five minutes coming into town explodes and everybody's okay with it. 
We, yeah, and that should tell you the exact kind yeah. of film we're in. We are in a town called Spielberg. Just let that sink in. We're not in you know the town of Lucas. We're not in the town of De Palma. We're not in the town of uh, Coppola. We're in Spielberg. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. Uh, we've got the introduction of Pia Zadora, as you mentioned. In fact, this cast is kind of bonkers from up to down. Yeah. Um, now, Pia Zadora... We got to explain Pia's door now. I think you might. You might have to because she in the, in the 80s especially she was you had everywhere. Well, and I'm thinking of if I'm thinking of a Pia's door type, I'm also thinking you mentioned uh EG Daily. Uh-huh. But I'm also thinking like a Samantha Fox. I'm thinking of these specific kind of these sexy Blonde bombshells back in the day that were multi-talented, could do a number of different things. Tiny, powerful, manic pixie dream girl, singer, dancing, celebrity machine. So tiny, so adorable. Yeah. And cemented my crush of her, especially around this time. But looking at her IMDb, I guess a lot of people are probably familiar with her first film. Because it's one of those that was lampooned on MST3K. Hooray for Santa Claus. Cha-cha-cha. <laughs> <laughs> she is one of the little Martians in Santa Claus Con- Conquers the Martians. Mm-hmm. You want to talk, and how cool, actually, in terms of your 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 genre IMDb, your IMDb here, to have Santa Claus Conquers the Martians and Voyage of the Rock Aliens yeah. in your resume. Getting weird in outer space is not a thing that Pia Zador is not unaccustomed to. For those of you more familiar, she might she was in Hairspray as one as the uh, beret wearing beatniks. That would be appropriate. That runs into Tracy Turnblad, but she also did a lot of like TV stuff. She was yes. more like. Like one of those, and Pia Zadora as blah, 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 blah. She would do a lot of Broadway and a lot of TV. And when they would have musicals on TV, like with, she was, if you know the name, I'm not even going to go to end this, but if you know the name Sandy Duncan, you know the name Pia Zadora. Now, is this the second time Sandy Duncan has come up on this show within the last three or four weeks? My apologies, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) For a horror podcast, we're doing a lot of Sandy Duncan here. Are we going to go, um, now, did she do the Hogan's? Are we going to do like a, an <laughs> yeah. offshoot podcast? Are we going to look at the filmography of Sandy Duncan? Are we mm-hmm. going to go from like Peter Pan? Okay, Peter Pan all the way down to the Hogan's. And My then that's going to lead into the Patrick Duffy rabbit hole. And then we're going to have to do a whole thing about the Thigh Master and Suzanne Summers. Well, Suzanne Summers showing up in Serial Mom was a very nice surprise. <laughs> Taking back to some first time watches there. Uh, Talk about anyway, Rock Piazador and Rock Aliens. Piazador, wonderful. Uh, Craig Sheffer showing up in this film as Frankie. That blew my mind. Well, especially the connection because you're like, wait a minute, you you saw the face. You're mm-hmm. like, I know him from somewhere. And I was like, oh, it's Boone. Boone from Nightbreed. I'm like, yeah, Boone. Good. Midian, the savior of Midian. That's Boone. He's the he's the greaser villain. Well, the fact that he is the lead singer of this rockabilly band. The pack. The pack. This is why I got very much another time. Another place. Feel, because it very feels in the same Streets world. Streets of Fire. Yes. This is like, this is a movie they would watch on Streets of Fire. You know, in, in that world. In that world, that would be like they're over the top. Well, this is definitely an over the top musical, but like, hey, hey, hey funny. I, I could actually see that working, but it's, I, it's the music itself as a mixture of 
Rockabilly. There's Rockabilly, Power Ballad, new a lot wave. of New Wave. New Wave. A lot of uh, synth, a lot of synth rock. Oh. Um, like here in my here in out space, we can do lots of stuff in space. They, do, 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 do. they pretty much take uh, She Blinded Me with Science in mm-hmm. one of the songs. But let's take a, take a look then how it matches up with our musical tropes that we've been doing throughout the month of May. Yeah. Uh, our first one, of course, being do we get an all-encompassing musical piece where the audience is involved we've got the choreography and yes like with almost every single set piece everyone is involved from the get this is even in even on uh, planet nero there was the whole (laughs) gang fight gang fights are settled by me musical battles um the day at the beach turns into music it was great montages going to go get Going, Food. going to the bathroom. Going to the bathroom to song, leads to montages which with actually, dirty underpants. Technically, that was actually a logo on. It's not really because that looked dookie. like that looked like that looked straight dookie. But this is another track here, and this is another good one by Piazzadora. This is a track called "Real Love." Some legitimately good hooks. There in are some, some of these toe tappers in this song. I'm not gonna lie. And the fact of the matter is, it's an obvious love letter to some of those old school B50s horror sci-fi. That's what this entire this movie originally, as it was written, did not have any music involved in it. It was supposed to be a send-up of those 50s and 60s B movies. Very similar to Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm-hmm. Very similar to kind of what Phantom of the Paradise was doing yeah. in a lot of ways. So I love the kind of the weird connective tissue that we've seen with horror and the musicals because it is all about the homage yeah. and the satire and the sending up, but also the genuine love, a lot of it as well. And speaking of homage, uh, when did Bill and Ted's come out? That would have been 88 or 89. Yeah. Here we have... <laughs> the telephone booth teleporter. Yeah, well... I mean, Doctor Who came out way before this, so well, we, yeah, that's been true. I mean, he, but he's that. a police. Oh no, that's yeah, that's yeah, that's. Well, you, okay, so we're we're talking about all these shenanigans, monkey shenanigans. When the the rock robot, alien, when the rock aliens come down, the whole idea is they're not supposed to. They're not supposed to like. They're only supposed to observe and interact. But they're so creepy. They're touchy. They're, they're feely. Totally disturbing. Oh and my god. They're creepy, and it's not in like a weird sexual way. It's just as in this weird inquisitive way, and you're just like, God, stop touching me!" And like, but everybody's okay with it. Yeah. Everybody, and I'm like, okay, cool. Even the the mechanic slash head of the uh, music committee slash. Uh, owner of the rec center slash cotillion organizer. Everybody's like, best friend, and Piazzadora's best bud. Yeah, well, and it's it's appropriate though because the fact they weren't touchy and feely, we wouldn't have our second trope in our musical checklist here of the star-crossed lovers. Mm-hmm. And this one very much has a Romeo and Juliet feel. Yeah, and the fact that the uh, the pack and Frankie won't let her uh, Dee Dee 
sing. singing this song. She just wants to sing. And then she's, I never thought I'd fall in love with an alien before. That leads to some interesting some stuff there. And then our final third trope, does the main villain have their own theme song? Oh, the Puma song is grand. The, the Puma song at the end. Oh, my the, goodness. Oh. It's actually, it is a legit good song, but it is all about Craig Sheffer, Sans shirt, with what do you call them? The the Love Hulk pants? Yeah, he's got Love Hulk pants because he's singing a song about love, but it looks like he just finished transforming into because he's got like his pants are all shredded and shit. Well, it's and glorious. you know what is shredded is freaking Craig Schaefer in this film. He is rocking the leather jacket minus a shirt constantly. Yeah. And to be honest, if I looked like that, I would probably do the same thing. Uh he is Quite good in this, but his character, though, is the one that is another reason you can't take this movie seriously, because he plays the bully throughout. So goofily. And at the very end, he has this little bit of a turnaround, and I, I can't even say that you know his character has like, had a journey at all. Nope, nobody's had a journey in this. Nobody learned a lesson. Nobody is the better for the rock. Even the rock aliens themselves aren't even better for it, because it's just... This movie, I hate to say that the movie's just there, but it's just it's just, hey, let's do shenanigans. Let's it's, let's be shenanigans. From from something that started as an homage to the fifties and sixties B movies to something that is just all musicals or you know, musical video set pieces. If you took the the video set pieces out, you'd only have about like maybe a sixty five minute film at best. And it'd be trauma. It would be trauma. Because <laughs> everything is bright and wild and giant tentacles out of nowhere and, we, and Chainsaw massacres and yeah, out of nowhere, Michael Berryman comes and becomes the main character. Michael Berryman, who is definitely one of the that guy from the eighties, and his presence is always welcomed because mm-hmm. he he's always one of those actors that I feel, especially when he knows the material, he elevates it, and just him being him, and just some of his delivery when he's just being very soft, yeah, and just. Just being him, it's so wonderful because he is playing this chainsaw maniac. He's got another guy from behind him that's like dragging the iron lung or what have you. This movie is insanity. And the cuts that happen, like literally editing from like one video. When the rock aliens, when they're doing their singing thing. When they're singing their montage and all of a sudden they're on a tractor. On the beach, yeah. Yeah, you're like, where the fuck did that come from and how the fuck? There's plot holes that you can drive the entire spaceship through and you're like, and nobody blinks twice but then you don't have time to think about it because another catchy ass song is coming out of it well and like another power ballad is coming hell yeah well i'm gonna throw on uh, a track from the pack here because as someone that really always had a soft spot for rockabilly you can't go you can't do a lot of work much worse than this one here this is justine justine Gotta think this is around the same time you would have the stray cats, so that is a pretty big uh, component of the the popular culture at the time. I found the Puma song. You found the Puma song? 
Okay, hold on. I do. I think uh, that one is... Nature of the Beast. Oh, I got it right here, my friend. Do you want to go right from Justine to Nature of the Beast? Yeah. Is the audience ready for that? I think so. Let's do it. This is the Michael McDonald one. Sexy. There's even a saxophone lyric in there. This is the one that like this is the one that's sung by Kenny Loggins, but then in the power ballad, we know the nature of the beast with like Michael McDonald in the background. Watch out now, cause the name, cause the beast has got to feast. You know, and so like he's de- <laughs> and then Kenny Loggins, you don't wanna go when you die. You know, and it's just shit like that. This this is all over the 80s. You have the 80s rockabilly. You have that 80s new wave synth. You even have the 80s adult contemporary. <laughs> it's wild. It, it really is. I just remember throughout the film, because a lot of these, again, when it's a first-time watch, like you said, you were watching kind of my reaction with Phantom of the Paradise, because you're hoping I enjoyed it. And, of course, obviously, I loved it, loved it. But it was kind of the same thing with this one knowing how weird this movie is and knowing your sensibilities. I had a feeling you'd enjoy it, but there were multiple times through the film you're like, I'm really digging this, but I, it makes no sense. Right. I was like, I'm not lost, just confused. Confused is you the know, right I word. I know where it was going. And confounded then, even, maybe? <laughs> yeah. But concerned, I'm confounded. Well, right? You know who also was confounded and confused with this film? Ruth Gordon. Oh, my goodness. Horny, horny old Ruth Gordon. She, her final line in this movie, to I, it still, to this day, makes me laugh. Do you remember what she threw out? Let's get wet. <laughs> and there's Ruth Gordon. I didn't know you like to get wet. It's PCP, ain't so the Ruth Gordon wakes up in a chicken coop. <laughs> Being chased by low riders. So I had a chance. I watched uh, Harold and Maude for the first time, mm-hmm. which... It lives up to the hype. It is one of the greatest love stories of all time. And she is so good in that film. But I was trying to figure out how and why she's in this movie. Because she plays the sheriff of this small of Spielberg. She sees the rock aliens come down. And she's all trying to find them. But of course, she, she, she's so inept that the aliens themselves walk right in front of her. And she's like, good, be good, see boys. Any, you guys you see anything weird? Nope, we did not see anything weird. <laughs> When she sees uh, Michael Berryman and the guy with all the guns, she's practicing their Second Amendments. Good patriotic boys. Meanwhile, they're escaping mental patients with a high kill count already. So the reason why I am pretty sure Ruth Gordon is in Voyage of the Rock Aliens is the director, uh, James Fargo, was responsible for a couple of films, one in particular that I know has made an impact both on Mm -hmm. you, myself, on Edgar Wright, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. But he directed 1978's Every Which Way But Loose. Beer swilling, brawling Clint Eastwood in his pet orangutan Clyde. I f- 
fucking love monkey trucker movies. The only thing missing from this film was a musical monkey. Right? Like, we got musical monkeys-esque, but not a literal Take musical monkey. Take the last monkey. exit to Clarksville. But also, of course, uh, Ruth Gordon plays Ma in Every Which Way But Loose, along with Jeffrey Lewis and... Um, oh my God! What's uh, Beverly D'Angelo is in? Beverly that? D'Angelo is in it. Yes. Uh, oh yeah. And uh, Jerry Som- Reed. Oh no no no! no Jeffrey no, Lewis. No, that's the- Jeffrey Lewis. Jeffrey Lewis. Oh yeah. Turning his hat on backwards. Uh, I have not watched that probably since it was on HBO and I lived in Stanley, Kansas. So I don't know if I want to revisit that. I need to have an every which way you loose and then every which way you can oh, double feature. No, you don't. No, you do not. No, yeah, you do, because then we can uh, we can play the the Black Widow's theme song that <laughs> that was missing potentially from this. But no, the fact that he has gone from every which way but loose to Voyage of the Rock Aliens shows you kind of the diversity of the director. This movie is nothing like any of those movies because this is wacky. <laughs> this movie is mad cappery. Like the, there's one part where. It almost becomes its own subplot because it's come back multiple times. It becomes such a running joke where Michael Berryman is chasing the head of the council of the a Piazzadora's best friend, basically, yeah. right? He comes to the wall and basically the chainsaw stops and she goes, oh, is that what you got? Here, let me see it. And fixes it. And then they fall in love. Chastising him throughout. you know, And it's, it's beautiful. And it, it does is. subvert it. And it that's when you get to see and the chemistry between the two of them. It's actually really good. It was legit good. And I it's kind of a shame that we, and not that I need more of that, but those were the little elements in between the musical moments because they didn't really sing. They right. were not part of the the ensemble. No, everybody else sang. This was this is almost like an opera as opposed to a musical because everybody just sang throughout. Yeah, the singing, the dancing, it is a unique, weird film. Mm-hmm. It's a film that I'm pretty sure was influenced primarily by cocaine because in oh, 1984, yeah. in that time, listen, I mean, it was flowing out and about like crazy. Uh, literally, literally, they hang out at the local teenage hangout. Yeah, that's what it's called, local it teenage is- hangout. And that's where they have the battle of the bands. Let's dance, let's dance, let us dance, ding, 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 let us dance, ding, ding, ding. The back and forth reminded me a lot of Xanadu. I was almost going to say this whole movie is almost like not necessarily a spiritual sequel to Xanadu, but very in that vein, because you know how Xanadu, but without the love and reverence. Xanadu is, let's say it's gold. This is more along the lines of like, Cubic zirconium. Yeah. yeah, because I love I, Xanadu is great, but it also has that reverence and heart. I think this is more. Hey, let's put on a goofy show with awesome music. Yeah, intent goes a long way with both of those. There was another film that I also got a really strong vibe with uh, was Bad Channels. The Charlie Band one? Yes. The, where they would kidnap the rock to make the yes. band? And then they would always introduce a different kind of a music video almost with every particular one. Yeah, it has that same kind of feel. Almost like a musical anthology in a way, just in terms of incorporating all these different elements of styles of music and then with different the, styles of music videos and the choreography. With a very loose structure, but a rap. And I wouldn't even go loose because it's definitely, hey, we're just here to observe and then... Shenanigan B happens, shenanigan C happens, all evolving, but it all works out in the end because it's the monkeys in space. Of but course. They go, unlike the monkeys in space, 
they go home all sad and broken. Well, they basically they they it becomes very Revenge of the Nerds, where the pack go up and they trash their spaceship, mm-hmm. and they have that moment where they're gonna trash the guitar player. He's like, no, just let them go home. There's too much violence here, and it just it ends. It ends. It ends with Dee Dee and Frankie back together, even though they're in a horrible, toxic relationship. They didn't learn a lesson, but there they are singing a song. And when your love begins to fall, I'll be there through it all. She should have ended up with Jermaine Jackson rather than Frankie. Right? Sincerely. They go home. They just take their new music. Ruth Gordon says, fuck it, let's get wet. It's almost the equivalent of like, who cares? It's a party. Any way you want it, that's the... There was even Journey songs in that. There was that Journey song. <laughs> There's also Blink and You Miss It nudity as well. Yeah. Which was a I little was shocking. I was not expecting that. <laughs> They're like, whoa, where'd that come from? From the Orgasmatron 3000? Well, uh, maybe that was a callback to Barbarella potentially. Something. or just Well, and also in 1984, you know, you always heard of like, Spanish fly. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> and he has the equivalent of that. And it, there's also a little bit of uh, casual homophobia, a little bit of gay panic. This is 1984, of course. But I think because the, the tongue was firmly planted in cheek, I don't think there was a lot of ill will with this film. No. Like you I said... I think it's too goofy to be taken seriously. Yeah, no, it's it's a fun movie with some fun little tunes. Some great tunes. I mean, like, I'm going to be honest, that fucking... The 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 even the Michael McDonald and the Beast one is not bad. The uh, the bar song, mm-hmm. the even the new wave that they do is kind of dope. Well, and I have this on vinyl, and there are some omissions of songs that are on in the movie, but aren't on actually the soundtrack. Really, which is interesting. Like because, what? Uh, the one actually, uh, one of her, Pia's la- Didi's last songs that she plays, and it's again got a very Bonnie Tyler esque. Very Hook. Bonnie Tyler. I Got was it. waiting for I was waiting for Piazzadora. And I need you more tonight. Right? I fucking need you more than ever. I was waiting for it. I was just like ready for it. Yeah, it's it, it's 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 fun. It is. And that's thankfully all of the films that we have watched so far have been fun. Yeah. Although the lure very it's dour. Not fun, yeah. But it is the music. Well, that's what's fun with pop music. Is you can tell a sad story, but put a nice little beat behind it, upbeat, you know, poppy up, and then it's it tra- transforms it. See, but that's the thing; these aren't sad songs. No, there's, there, I don't think there's one sad song in this. Elton John would not be singing in this no, one. No, but it's like happy in this yeah. song, and even the lyrics are like, "We're gonna have a party tonight." While they're dancing in the bathroom, even the "I'm the beast, I'm on the brawl," right? Even even that's like not. A sad song. It's like I'm gonna get my shit together and be a beat. So I'm yeah. not saying that was a buck flower moment for you, but you seriously could not stop with I the yacht rock that. and everything. I and it was because it's a totally yacht rock song on that one. It and was... it comes to the end, and then all of a sudden, then they get back together, and then it's him and uh, and Pia Zadora that sings like they they re- they go back to when the rain begins when to fall. When the rain begins to fall, and it's like okay, yeah, cool. We're back where we started. If you don't mind nonsensical cuts, if you can, if you enjoy just pure '80s goodness from the set design to the costume design. Oh yeah. Now I don't think I had a revelatory experience as the first time you watched Phantom as in the first time I watched this movie. I wouldn't have expected that. <laughs> We're talking De Palma to no offense to James Fargo, right? But you know that's there's a 
big distinction between the two. And I don't think I would put this one in my musical regular musical rotation. And then we gotta, I gotta say, this is very horror adjacent. Then listen, yeah, this is very much stretching what we were looking at. But it does harken back to the old B horror movies, and yep. it does have the Psycho Killer and the Michael Berryman connection. So oh, it it's is, got a monster in the lake. Yeah, it, it, it totally. It's a totally. It's classic Squiddly Diddly. I wrote on that, even though they go to Heidi High. That's the name of their school. It's fucking Heidi High, and there's a big swamp monster in the back. It's glorious. I was like, uh-oh. Oh, I'm, I'm glad this isn't like 42nd Street Theater. Off, off, off Broadway. We're not going into the uh, wide world of weird with this one, actually. This one is very chaste for the most part. No, I'm, no this is, again, one that I don't think is a revelatory film, but it's one I think you do need to experience at least once because mm-hmm. it is just so weird. You will be constantly looking... At your friends, whoever you're watching this, even if you're by yourself, you're going to wonder aloud what is happening. And then meanwhile, you're going to be, and when the rain begins to fall. Yeah. It's just going to redirect you. And that's the best thing of, I think, a musical like that is the moment you start to get bored, they should be in, you know, putting in another song or just another music video. Yep. Another another monkeys in space montage. It's it's quite wonderful. Now, we are going to be closing. Oh, I should say other thoughts before we finish this up here, Genius. Uh, let's see. They even had the crusty principal, like, oh, the cotillion is canceled because of all the murders. Boo! And I even asked, I was like, wait, is he wearing a bow tie? Sure enough, he was. Yeah, he was. Uh, I like the turn that she did when she's like, oh, they're going to take me off of, uh, take my emotions out? No, 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 oh, no thanks. Yeah, Bye. Was, yep. Gotta go. And not one, but two steamroller gags. Multiple steamroller gags. Well, mm-hmm. I think they obviously They're like had... we rented this steamroller for the day. God damn it, we're gonna use it as much as we can. We got forty five minutes left. Get the printer, get the toner, do whatever we need to do. We're gonna make somebody flat today. And the fact that this movie is also very much—it's a cartoon. It is because when they flatten those two security cards, not a la Austin maximum pa- overdrive, a la Austin Powers. Yes, it yeah. is very much that. I enjoyed that. I, I did enjoyed too. That. I, I did do that with a big smile on my face. And then Optimus Prime only almost getting pissed on by a dog. It is I that do the pissing. Yeah. It was, it, it's again, has a lot of charm. A I lot would of see charm. this as a double feature with UHF. Maybe if I, if I nerd knowledge to this, I would probably go UHF plus Xanadu plus. Back to the beach. That would work. That would work. Yeah. I, I would have to throw something sci-fi in or there. Or something like sci-fi. a star crash, potentially. Yeah, something, but no. something silly. But what's great, though, is the nerd knowledge with this one is you could go all over mm-hmm. the place for the most part. And I think that's when you can do that. It just shows that the movie is memorable. Yeah. You may not be in your rotation, but I can guarantee there's some of the earworms that are going to still stuck in there. Because I know I'll be watching it. When the rain <laughs> begins to fall. Or anytime you hear Michael McDonald or Christopher Cross, you know. In the mound of the beast now. <laughs> now, the film that we are closing out here is going to be a first time watch for me that I'm really looking forward to. And I initially confused it because it shares the, the same name. With a different movie. Yes, the one from the 80s. And that's why I was like, well... I know it's kind of musical theater-esque, but no. The one we're talking about next week is a first-time watch for me. Really looking forward to it. And again, we're going more to more current, because mm-hmm. I think it came out in 2014? 2014, yes. Perfect, perfect. Well, uh, you'll just have to wait in anticipation to find out what that is. But until that time, this is Greg D. And I'm Genius McGee. And we'll see you in your dreams.
Or when the rain begins to fall. <laughs>